I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today we're talking with Jacob Book of the Shirt Tail Mess Immersive Living History Group. We're talking with Jake about his passion for living history, how he's got started in muzzleloading, and how that led him to where he is today with a passion and a drive for immersive 18th century events. So Jake, why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about what got you into, into muzzleloading and living history? It's not so much what got me into muzzleloading. It's more so what got my dad into muzzleloading because that's kind of where the story begins. Um, right. Dad started in the early 70s. You know, he was always into history. He grew up in that era of, you know, Fess Parker and, you know, Davy Crockett and the Alamo and, and Daniel Boone. And as, mo you know, as most people know, that era, filmmaking and storytelling, especially geared towards um, younger people with like those Disney live action movies, there was a lot of history. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you had... Uh, you had the light in the forest and Johnny Tremaine. And there was just a lot of fervor for kind of our, I don't know if it was just kind of leading towards the bicentennial or, or what, but especially like our frontier history, there was just a lot of interest in that. And they were making movies and, and television based on those things. So yeah, there's kind of that early popular media wave that really brought yeah, people to it. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I feel like for people like my dad, it's just like a common story for that age group of like, well, how'd you get into this? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it starts when they're kids. So then, uh, you know, dad, dad was kind of, kind of an athlete. Um, he was, he was a good athlete and he ended up going to college and, um, at the university of Northern Iowa, there was a, a theater professor by the name of George Glenn. And, um, you will find, uh, you will find, uh, George Glenn's several of George Glenn's articles in the very first book of buckskinning. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, along with my dad's picture in there, um, and he started a. I guess at the time um, there was a like professors at the university. They could they could create a class kind of for fun and like offer it you know, to their students. Um, so George Glenn started a class, um, that my dad heard about and decided to take, and it was called, um, muzzleloading firearms, modern sport and historical perspective. And wow. essentially it was a muzzleloading club uh -huh. for college. <laughs> for <laughs> That's college awesome. Students. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so dad went to that and he was pretty much, you know, pretty much hooked. Um, and, uh, got his first rifle. I, I don't know what, it, you know, his first gun was, I think like a lot of people's first guns, you know, wasn't great, but, um, you know, got, got his gun, started going, joined like the local muzzleloading club. Um, I think they were called like the Turkey foot muzzleloaders or something, you know, muzzleloading club or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, did some, parades there they they marched into in some parades for the for the bicentennial um locally there and uh, you know he started going to some events and went to friendship with with glenn uh, with george glenn and uh and that just you know that just sort of kicked everything off for him and uh, oh yeah Eventually, he started working for for George, and uh, George had a, a business at the time called um, the Possible's Poke. Okay. And 
and dad worked for him. And then eventually my dad started his own business in the early eighties. And then by the time I was born, um, in 1990, they, he was pretty much, um, you know, that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what so so many people were doing at that time. You know, there's such opportunity there. So you see all kinds of businesses like that popping up and, and feeding families and taking care of things. Absolutely. Yeah. There was, um, you know, and there was a, there was a big market for it. That was the, that was the time when you could really, um, you could really take the show on the road, if you will, and go, you know, go make money at events. And, and, um, and so, you know, he, along with, um, you know, along with the, the smoking fires and the Jim Townsend's and the, you know, I mean, he, you know, dad was a, dad was a staple of, you know, the, the vendor, you know, the vendors of that time. Yeah. And, um, and knew all of them really well. You know, he knew, um, he knew Townsend when, uh, you know, Townsend senior was selling lanterns uh, yeah. at, at friendship. And, the early and days. When, yeah. Yeah. And when, when Donlin Myers of smoking fire was just selling like pottery, I think is what she did. So fast forward to my youth, you know, I, I went to some events as a kid. Um, dad took a kind of a hiatus from like the 18th century stuff. And he got into like, old west and Mm. and uh stuff like that for a while but then in the late 90s um i went to my first uh kind of event i went to a rendezvous um in uh at fort de chart in illinois Mm -hmm. um their june rendezvous and uh you know i was hooked on that (laughs) and uh you know as soon as i went to that you know i so so, you know, it's really a story of like my dad getting into it and then just, you know, I just happened to be kind of second generation. Um, and I was really into, you know, I was really into this stuff, you know, um, the history stuff, you know, when I was in, when I was in uh, preschool, um, at the end of the school year, um, the teacher, my, my preschool teacher, Mrs. Atchison, she made a special award for me because I, I would, I would tell stories at at lunchtime. My mom would be like, my mom would send me like lunch to school Uh and I'd come home having not eaten it. And, uh, finally she asked the teacher like what, like what was happening. And she said, well, it's hard for Jake to eat because he's telling all everybody these stories about like Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. (laughs) And I was like five. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just always been there. It's, you know, yeah. um, it's always been there. And then, um, so in about 2001, I think, um, I went to an event, uh, in Pennsylvania called Bedford village. That was a pretty defining event for me because I got to, I met, I met Nathan Kobuk who you had on, on the podcast, um, a handful of episodes back. Um, so I was, I was like 11 and, uh, Kobuk was 1920 Mm -hmm. age range. I think he was doing native and and he asked if, if I wanted to be like captured in the bat in the battle, they had this like scenario they were going to do. And I was like all in, you know, yes, take me, (laughs) take me with you. (laughs) 
Carry me away, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, take me away, Nathan. That was the first time I experienced, you know, that kind of a thing. And like seeing people who were who were really like doing a good job with their impressions. And I I didn't know I really just didn't know it at the time, but at you know, later that would become, you know, pretty important to me. Right. That's kind of foundational for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then later, later it was all about, I, I went to events because my parents took me to events. And then, you know, at a certain point you have to decide a lot of kids that grew up in the hobby don't stay in the hobby Yeah. Um, because life gets crazy and, and they've kind of done it and they're kind of like, okay, like, I, you know, I grew up doing this. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. You, um, you're kind of looking for a new experience. Yeah. And I, and I think part of the problem is a lot of times they really haven't found the reason that they leave is they really haven't found their thing within the broader hobby. You mm-hmm. know? So they just get bored with it and then they leave, you know? Um, and I certainly could have gone down that path, but I, I, I just loved it too much. <laughs> yeah. just like, um, so when it got to the time to where I could start getting my own things and like starting to do my own research and, and whatnot, you know, that kind of, that was a pretty big, you know, thing. So it was kind of that, that kind of mid to, to late teenage years where you really started to find something that you really enjoyed about it and started becoming engaged, would you say, apart from just being brought along with your parents? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So take us then from being carried away by Kobuck <laughs> to <laughs> to kind of where you're at now and, and how that interest translated into the the heavy research and, and period equipment that you enjoy using and Yeah, so I I was kind of always on the path of like, you know, wanting to do things um well and my, my dad was, you know, my dad's kind of responsible for that too, because the stuff that he was doing, you know, in the eighties and, and, you know, into the nineties was, was pretty, you know, for its time, it was like pretty, um, cutting edge, if you will. You know, he, he was definitely, he definitely had a, even like in the old West stuff that he did, you know, dad was always a, had an attention to detail um, that I always appreciated. Um, and he, and he didn't want to look like everybody else, you know, Mm -hmm. he he wasn't, my dad's never been a, a crowd follower. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so he was, he was definitely interested in, you know, looking, you know, kind of not, yeah, just not doing, you know, not doing what everybody else is doing. I remember when, uh, there, there's a, an organization called, um, called NCALS, the National Congress of Old Shooters. Um, and my dad kind of helped, um, found that organization. And, and I remember at some point during the thing, you know, that they have very broad, you know, it's like anything from 1865 to 1900 or 1899, you know, you can, you can do within that. So a lot of guys, you know, they, they put together their kit and, and they just kind of, their kit just becomes like a catch all. If it's, if it's between 1865 and 1899, well, then it's good, you know? Right. Uh, and, and so dad, 
dad and a couple of his friends decided within that organization, they, they kind of started a little, a little group called, um, that they called, uh, the 76ers, which was like the name sounds, you know, they were going to do everything, document everything to their, to a specific place in time in 1876. Okay. Um, and so, you know, and they kind of got made fun of for it. You know, they were like, well, that limits you, you know, and they're right. like, yeah, that's, that's the point. <laughs> like, um, you know, it, it limits us and it gives us a purpose. Like it gives us like a, you know, something that we're trying to, to achieve here. You know, would you say there's kind of a challenge to that by focusing on a particular year in a region like that? There, yeah, there is a challenge because it, um, it forces you to, discard you know discard a lot of things and you have to um you know just to use like a music analogy like um anybody who's a fan or knows about a band called the white stripes um you know jack white is famous for limiting the tools that he can use to create art you know okay um and by doing so you know he, he has to challenge himself even that much more to like figure out, you know, how to, how to achieve the sound he's wanting with, you know, so he'll purposefully like limit himself to like certain things. Um, and there's a challenge to that, you know, there's a really great challenge to that. And so when you do that in history and you like limit yourself to something, then you say like, okay, um, you know, what can I document to this specific time, this specific place, um, and you know, a lot of times, especially if you're doing like a military thing, you know, you have to, you kind of have to do that because some, you know, some units within like the revolutionary war, for instance, you know, they only existed for like a year, yeah. you know? So what did they have? You know, <laughs> like, you gotta figure out, you know? Um, so there's a real challenge to that in it. And that's part of the fun. I think, you know, I think some people think, having everything at your disposal is more fun. Um, but I think sometimes those limitations can be really, um, fascinating, you know? Um, so to kind of, to kind of get back to the question, um, I kind of was my, my attention was kind of in that direction of like, how do I, how do I figure out, um, how to do my impressions better? And, um, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really have anybody around me that, you know, I think there's people who kind of think that they're doing that, you know, and I don't want to, you know, throw shade on anybody. Right. Um, no, and I appreciate and it's, that. And it's, nobody, <laughs> it's nobody specifically, but it's yeah. just like, I think some people think like, oh yeah, like this is how, you know, people did things back in old timey days. And, and then, and so you kind of have to like weed through that stuff and, and figure out like, okay, well, who who's actually like presenting me the, the, the hard evidence, you know, like the hard, um, the hard facts, if you will. Yeah. Because when you're, when you're going for that level of detail and you're focusing on, on those specific years and and that's what you're going for, if you're not going for that, you know, that's fine. But when you're looking for that, you you need that information. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I did a number, you know, I, I did a number of things, you know, looking back, I have pictures that I just like shake my head, you know, I'm like, what in the world was I, was I doing? Um, you were learning, but, 
I was learning. And, <laughs> and as time, as time went on, like, you know, even though growing up in the hobby, like the research, the research that was available started to change really rapidly. Okay. Um, as the internet kind of exploded, um, you can find more, <laughs> you can find more like really well researched and documented stuff on Facebook now, like than than needing to go to like an archive somewhere. Like, yeah. It's amazing how much, how much stuff is out there. Um, you know, and so, so there was a real, you know, there was a real, uh, swing in that direction. And I found out about really where it all changed for me was I found out about the Augusta County militia, um, who I'd known about for a while, but I, I found out that they had an event coming up and I was really trying hard. You know, I've been going to all the local events, you know, the market fair at Locust Grove and various places. And I usually would fall in with, um, with a unit there. And, um, I was just, you know, I was trying to do better. You know, I just wanted, I just wanted to do a better impression. And I found out that the ACM, um, was doing an event in Virginia called um, uh, Welburn Farm. It was an immersion event, and which uh, w- which we'll get to, I guess, in this yeah. discussion. Um, and I wanted to go, and so I looked at their. They had, you know, usually at the beginning of an immersion event, they'll post the standards um, that you have to kind of abide by um, with your clothing and your gear, and so I put something together that I thought was good. And, um, it forced me to, to, you know, acquire some things and get some new things. And, um, and I went and I had an absolute amazing time. And, uh, you know, to me, it's sort of like that kind of sealed the deal of like, okay, you know, (laughs) there's no reason to like not continue to do this, you know? Right. You were hooked. Um, yeah, I was hooked, Uh, especially, especially on the, on that immersion thing, you know, it was, and I, you know, I had experienced a little bit of that before, but it, that really took the cake for sure. So a, a couple questions on that first, what, uh, what items and, and what kind of process did you go through to fit the event? You, you talked about upgrading and getting some new things. What kind of changes did you make to get into that event? Um, so a lot of what, a lot of the attention to detail is in, um, sort of the, the cut of your clothes and the way, you know, if it's 17, you know, if, if the event is 1778 and you show up wearing clothing that is cut more on a 1758 pattern, (laughs) you know, that's 20 years prior, um, you know, it's not going to look like you fit. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I had, you know, I came from, I, I came from doing more, uh, French and Indian war, um, stuff. So an er earlier period then. So, yeah. So an earlier period. And, um, so I had to get some new things. I got a new, you know, I got a new jacket. Um, um, I got a pair of, uh, I think I wore, pair of trousers for that event um you know there was just stuff that i you know just little things that i changed um i looking at that kit now uh 
it still, you know, it's still stuff that I wear. I haven't, you know, I haven't changed too much. It, it, you know, it, it worked well for what, you know, for what I needed for that event. Right. Um, so it was just like little things, you know, just, just, you know, I had a, I had more of like a French and Indian war cut waistcoat, you know, needed to change that, you know, like, okay. it's just stuff like that. Yeah. So then, you know, and another thing, you know, another small change was, um, you know, I shaved. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, that's a big one. I, I really resisted. I really resisted the shaving for a long time. Cause I just really liked having a beard most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, once you just get it in your head that like, okay, I'm just gonna have to shave for events. Yeah, I mean, you just do it. And I'm, my hair grows back relatively fast. You know, I feel sorry for people who don't and like having a beard. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's hair, it grows back. Um, so for me, it just, just stuff like that, you know, you, it was relatively you, easy for you to adapt to it. Right. It was just easy to say, you know what, if this is what I'm going to do and this is the crowd that I want to hang out with, you know, then, <laughs> then this is what I need to do. You right. Know, That's what's what going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So my other question about this first immersion event that you went through is how did that, what was, what made that event different than the other events that you had gone to? Cause you talked about that kind of changing how you thought about this and, and that you decided that's what you wanted to do. So what was different about it? Well, that kind of gets, I guess that kind of gets us into, you know, what exactly is an immersion event yeah. you know, versus, versus the other varieties of events that are out there. Um, because that's, I feel like that's the crux of it. Um, so most events are, and I'm just going to use the, the local, um, so the local kind of Midwest Revolutionary War reenacting organization is called the NWTA, right? Mm-hmm. And the NWTA has a set number of events that they do that they put on as a, as an organization. So this is, you know, they have, they put out their calendar at the beginning of the year and here's all the events you go to and you can pretty much expect, you know, the same kind of thing, right? The same kind of event, um, different locations, similar groups of people. Right, exactly. And, um, and some events, you know, like the, the events at Vincennes that ha- that's been going on for, almost 50 years now, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and those events are, and, and the people that go to those events, those are the events that they go to for the year. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, um, many people change it up. It's like, okay, this is what I do. And outside of going to those events, they don't typically even, even pull their gear out between events, you know? Um, it's kind of a, person... a scheduled kind of road show kind of deal, not to discredit them. Exactly. At all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I remember telling somebody one time that I, that I, I would go out in my woods at home and like, like kid out and go out in my woods with my gun. And, and they were like shocked that I would do that. Okay. And they were like, well, 
and and I think for a lot of people, it's like if if there's no public there to see you do it, like why would you do that? Like why would is you know? I think for a lot of people, it's it's a it's a thing we do for the public. Like yes, we see our friends, and yes, we have like friends in the hobby. But this is something that you know if you're not going to if you're not going to a public event where you're doing like a display or you're doing battles at two o'clock in the afternoon you know what is the what's the purpose of doing this you know right there's kind of a, a difference and, in mentality there yeah it's a, it's a difference in mentality and so there's another side of the hobby that wants to have a deeper experience you know they they don't want to they don't want to stand in line and fire at the british and look over to their right and see quarter johns you know right like that's that's fine for what it is. If you want to demonstrate, you know, um, military tactics in the 18th century by doing that, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's a whole lot different than going out on private land or at a state park and duking it out with a opposing force in a unplanned, um, (laughs) you know, sort of a, a loosely, planned scenario with a lot of unplanned stuff happening in the midst of it, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, There's a little bit more chaos there. Yeah. And I remember telling somebody about that, you know, when you tell some folks about this stuff, about going to an immersion event, it's like their eyes get wide and you're telling them all the stuff that happened to you. And they're just like, it's just so far (laughs) removed from what they think of as reenacting, you know? Yeah. Um, It's a different level of it. It can be pretty, there can be a pretty big disconnect. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So, so what made that event special was, you know, we got there without going into all the details, you know, we got there, um, you know, we, we set up camp, we, we, we slept on the ground with our blankets around a campfire by a Creek. And, you know, at one point, um, Alan Krauss, who was in command, you know, kind of told us like, Hey, we need to, we're going to go walk down to where we're going to lay the ambush in the morning for the British who didn't know we were going to do that. <laughs> you know, and it's dark, you know, we were doing this by moonlight. And just those type of moments where you're like walking through the dark, single file through the dark, you know, with your arms and you're talking about laying this ambush for the British. I mean, it can't, you don't even really have to act, you know, it's not like you're going to this like play act mode where you're like, Oh, we will attack the British here. You know, like right. you just have to, you just talk about it because it's what you're about to do. You know? right. And that's, that's as real as it gets because you're doing the thing you know, you're not pretending to do the thing. You are going to do the thing the next morning at dawn. And that's exactly what we did. Um, we, we went back to our camp, we got a few hours of sleep and we got woken up before the sun came up and we went out there and, and laid there till we saw them coming. And as soon as, as they got in range and they got close down to the creek crossing, um, I fired the first shot that kicked the event off and 
it was <laughs> it was the crazy i mean it's one of the coolest things i've ever been a part of to this day um and we basically spent the weekend you know attacking that we we had we were pretty vastly outnumbered um there was really a small contingent of us compared to the british they had i think they had like three different three different companies uh, different regiments that they had represented um the 17th regiment of foot that well at four i think the the 17th regiment of foot um the king's eighth uh the 40th light infantry they had the 71st highlanders out there and then they had a bunch of um tory uh, uh civilian militia um and um it was it was just a con i mean you know we were attacking and running away and then hitting him again and running away. And, uh, we had a, a force of American dragoons out there that came up from Williamsburg. And so wow. there's three of them. And, and the first time I saw them, I was, I was running through a field to, to, to go back to our, our base camp to, um, pass a message about what was going on at the front, basically, if you will. Yeah. And, um, and these guys just come riding through this field. I mean, there's nothing modern, 360 degrees. I can't see anything modern. And here comes, you know, there's like a stone field, like a stone fence and a field. And here comes these dragoons riding up out of the, out of the bottom, up into the field. And I mean, it was just, I'll, and you know, and they see me and they're like, you know, what's going on up there. And I, you yeah. know, I tell them and like, you know, it's just, it just doesn't get any more real than that. You're just there, um, you know, for those moments, you're, you're just, just there. there. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's the difference, you know, and, and, and that's kind of ever since doing that one, that's, that's really become my kind of when I, what I find most enjoyable about the hobby is those, those events. Um, and, uh, so I try to, I try to get in on them or plan them as often as I can, which isn't, isn't as often as I would like. But. Right. You know, the real life is, is still there knocking at the door all the time. Um, oh yeah. Even when you're trying sure. to escape it there for, for a few days. So this past spring, you contributed and, and helped host one of these events. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Could yep. you tell us a little bit about that? and kind of what the what that event was based on you've, you've told us a little bit now about your first event how many years ago was that now and and what has changed for the kind of event that you were uh, you know participated in hosting yeah that event was i think i think that was like 2016 or 2017 i want to say okay um and uh so fast forward to um this one in the spring. Uh, so that kind of came about, I just, I happened to run into, um, a fellow named, uh, Will Manaire, um, down at the, uh, at the CLA show in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And, um, and for, for those that, I mean, I'm sure your listeners, uh, know, but the contemporary, um, long rifle association, they, they have a, uh, an event where they have like an indoor show every year um, in Lexington. Really great. Um, a lot of cool stuff there. 
And uh, so anyway, Will Manair, he's a young kid, you know, grew up in the hobby, um, has been doing a lot of really good kind of native stuff. Um, and his and Instagram is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Will Manair, I met him and, and we were talking about stuff and he, you know, he'd been following the shirt tail mess for quite a while and uh, reading the blog and stuff. And he said, um, he said that he was, you know, they were starting to do more stuff and they were hoping they were kind of wanting to do like a, like an immersion thing. And so I was like, Hey, I was like, <laughs> I'd be completely game for that. Yeah. Um, let's just, let's start talking about it. And so he and I started talking and we got, um, another, another good, uh, a good guy, um, uh, an Augusta County veteran, Augusta County militia veteran and, and, um, you know, just all around great reenactor, uh, David McClanahan to, to also help plan the event. Um, I consulted a lot with, with Alan Kraus from Augusta County. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's done a million of these type of events, you know, in the past with, with them. And so, um, yeah, so you just, you kind of just start talking, well, what are we going to do? Like, what's the, what's the scenario? So we basically, um, you know, there's a lot of captive narratives, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of women and, and children and, and, you know, young, young men were, were captured by natives during the 18th century. Um, there's a lot of original captive narratives that you can read. Um, and, you know, there's just, there's tons of them out there. Right. Um, there's a lot of documentation for that. Lots of documentation. Which, which plays so, into the immersion aspect of it because you have a lot to go on then. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so that kind of became the, that, that was kind of, something I kind of envisioned for, I, I, I threw that idea out there to him. I was like, what do you think of this? Like having some captives with, with a war party. And then, you know, that's the scenario We're the militia, we're in pursuit of our, of our women folk basically. Um, and, uh, and so that was met with a lot of like, yeah, let, you know, let's try to do that. So, um, so yeah, my, my girlfriend, Eileen and, and another gal, um, Brittany Frederick, they, um, they decided they volunteered to be the, the captives. Uh-huh. And, um, so then once you kind of decide what the scenario is going to be, well, now you have to, now you have to find a place you can do it. Um, and that's a challenging thing because you got to have enough space to where you can create enough space between two opposing forces that need to not be be able to easily find each other but small enough of a space where you you can run into each other right you don't want to spend your Um, whole weekend searching for everybody right exactly which would probably be period you know right that'd be very accurate (laughs) uh but but you you know people drive a long way and you you want to give them an experience that they can go home and talk about you know yeah um so David and Will and, and I, um, we know a guy in, in Southern Illinois, um, named Tony Gerard. Um, Tony's a long time, uh, long time reenactor. He was, uh, his, his kind of claim to, <laughs> uh, claim to fame. He's done a lot of, of really cool stuff over the years, but my favorite 
Tony claim to fame is that he's in Last of the Mohicans. Oh, okay. Um, it's classic. Several several times he's in Last of the Mohicans on screen. And uh, so Tony had some property. Tony lives in Southern Illinois, and he had some property um, that butts up against Shawnee National Forest. Um, and so – uh, Tony was nice enough to call, you know, he called the local law enforcement, local, uh, local game warden and said, Hey, I got some people coming in. We're going to be doing this thing. Um, just wanted to clear it, yeah. you know, with let you guys know what's going on. And so they, you know, they're, they've known Tony for a long time, you know, and so they're used to kind of him bringing people out and doing stuff out there. Um, so that was all set. We had a, we had a location for it. Um, Southern Illinois, you know, we didn't choose that necessarily because that's where a lot of this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't know of any captive narratives that take take you through the Illinois country, but um, especially in the 1770s, we were kind of going for like a Kentucky thing. um, But it just so happened that 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 property was available and it was good. And um, the terrain was was kind of what we wanted. And um so that's, that's what ended up, you know, that's what ended up working out. So, yeah. um, so yeah, that's, uh, so once we got that set, you know, we set the date, um, Will and David went out there and scouted that area quite a bit, um, uh, beforehand just to kind of, so they'd know what was, what to expect. And, and yeah, so then, uh, that, the planning started in August of, of last year. And, and then we did the event, um, the first weekend in April of this year. And it went so, well, the pictures looked went incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Um, it was, uh, <laughs> a lot of suffering that happened. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was, you know, it's a weekend. It's one of those weekends that, you know, you walk away from and you're like, man, you know, parts of that really sucked, but like we, you know, it was like Kobuk talking, you know, about how you have these experiences, you know, that they had, you know, the first night we were in there, we got absolutely poured on rain. Yeah. Um, and we found out that there was like a tornado watch. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, (laughs) I'm sure people like, hearing that are like, man, you know, that's, that's really taking it too far, but you know, we did it and, and we can say that we did it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, oh uh, yeah. There's some things like that cool... that you have to go and do, you know? Yeah. You know, and we got rained on the first night. It was, it was miserable. And, and it was, you know, we chose a bad, really, you know, I chose the camp spot. I chose a bad spot. Which... <laughs> It's totally period correct. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they chose um, bad spots too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. You read, uh, you know, you read that, that Cresswell diary, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, they camp right in the middle of a Buffalo, <laughs> like a Buffalo run, like literally the Buffalo run through and like stomp, you know, the hell out of their canoes. Yeah. And <laughs> there's just like, Oh no, you know? So, you know, people back then, you know, they, they didn't always do the right thing. They didn't always do the, the smart thing. You know, they were people too. They were people, they were people just like us. And, uh, so it's kind of those moments where you, where you mess up or you do something wrong out in the woods where, 
where some of the most memorable stories can happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, and you know, we certainly had our share of that we, we, uh, um, we got into the woods that night, you know, it was late. Um, and, uh, we had already had some, uh, we were waiting for, for the rest of our, our party to get there. Cause you know, not everybody could get there. I was there on Thursday night. Not everybody could get there. Some people had to get there Friday evening. And, um, so, you know, we had had the, pe- the those of us who were already there on the militia side, um, the natives, you know, they stepped off with the prisoners at, at like 11 o'clock, I think Friday morning, mm. um, started heading into the woods and, uh, we ended up kind of by accident following them. We didn't, we didn't expect to run into them and, and, uh, we ended up running into them. They had, they had taken a break, a little rest break in the uh-huh. creek bed and, uh, we ran into them and, you know, I was like, well, I guess we're going to kick it off right here. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're technically in pursuit, right? So, right. Got to uh, make it so happen we, now. Yeah. So we had a little fight with them and, and they, they drove us back and they took, they kept taking the women on and, and, um, and then uh, we made camp and I went back and, and got the people that uh, were coming in late. And so we guided them in and, got rained on and you know just the whole thing and then we spent we got up at dawn on on saturday morning we spent the entire morning looking for them wow and uh could not find them um anywhere and um and then finally we uh everybody was kind of back at at the base camp and i had gone down and sat on a point kind of overlooking the valley with the creek running through it and i was like well i'm just going to sit here until i see movement and uh sure enough probably 20 minutes later, I, I see them moving down the Creek bed and, and they ended up spotting me and I spotted them and, you know, I fired, <laughs> fired my gun and I had a whistle with me and I, I just started blowing my whistle, like, you know, as loud as I could huh. and, uh, firing, you know, firing at them and they're, they're moving around me, you know, they're, they're kind of fanning out into like a crescent moon shape, you know, and they've yeah. got, they've got guys that are trying to get up above me on the hill and there's guys down in the, in the valley shooting at me and I'm behind a tree, just like furiously loading and blowing my whistle. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and finally I heard Alan Krause's whistle in response to mine. And so I knew, I knew help was on the way and, uh, and, uh, ended up recovering one of the captives. We, I, I ended up, if I do say so myself, it was very, uh, it was very, movie like okay <laughs> it was, uh, fill us in tell us the. come on you can't say that and not give us some more details <laughs> well i i i saved i saved eileen from the natives i uh i i came running down the the bank of the kind of the bank of the hill and there's a the creek wound in front of us and eileen was on the other side of the creek Cause they were trying to, they were trying to like move the captives. The whole idea was they were trying to move the captives to a different location, which is why they had them with them. Okay. And, um, I, anyway, the, the, one of their war chiefs had handed, um, Eileen off to a younger, a younger guy. Um, and he, you know, cause they had prisoner ties on her and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I saw that he was there and I, he fired his gun and he was empty. And I was, 
I was maybe 25 yards from him and I just, I just took off at a dead run <laughs> and, uh, Alan, Alan Krause was behind me and I ran through the Creek, you know, there's water splashing everywhere. And I, my powder horn fell in the water and, um, and, uh, I got across and this kid came running at me with a, he had like a war club that was like a rubber war club that was painted up to look real, you know? Uh -huh. And, uh, he hit me with it as I got across. And so I, you know, I fell down, but I landed on, I landed on Eileen's prisoner ties. So she was kind of stuck right there. So Alan came up behind me and whacked that kid and grabbed her, um, and took her back across the Creek. And we ended up, you know, saving her. Um, so we, we recovered one of the prisoners. Our goal was to recover the prisoners. So we got one of them. They retained one of them. So it was kind of a, um, kind of a tie in that sense, but I, I maintain that we, that we, uh, you know, we were the dominant force all weekend. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Will, Will and David might, might, uh, have a different version. Maybe, um, we, maybe we can get their version on another, another, yeah, another episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, see the other side of this story here. You're, you're painting a narrative. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But no, they, they were great. The, the, the guys that were out there, you know, uh, as the, as our opposition and we, as their opposition, you know, they, yeah they were awesome. It, both sides just did, you know, they did a perfect, we all did what we needed to do to make the event really fun and make it, you know, and make it somewhat, you know, as, as realistic as we could make it to, you know, we don't, even though there's no public there to see it, you know, we don't want it to look cheesy either. You know, we don't want it to look stupid or feel, um, you know, feel like it's, you know, we, we want to have those moments where you're, where you feel like, okay, I, I just, I just had a time travel moment, you know? Yeah. Um, you have a, so much of a better understanding going through something like that of, of some of those narratives that we can read. I mean, uh, I'm the kind of person where when I read, I'm, I'm kind of picturing what's happening in my head. And that's one thing, but it's another to go and actually do the things that you've been reading about other people doing, uh, you know, oh, yeah. sleeping in a rain soaked camp and waking up before dawn, you know, to go you know, play in an ambush and, and hope that it goes well. And oh, yeah. your food's wet, you're wet, everything's you dropped your powder horn in the river. Were you able to recover it? Um, yeah. So I was able to recover my, my powder horn. The, the, you know, the water there was maybe up to the middle of my, my calf, you know, okay. it wasn't deep water, but. Was the um, powder still good? I have to ask, did it make it through? Powder on the end was <laughs> the powder on. So basically if you shook the powder horn, you could hear the good powder, but basically it created like a plug at the end. Oh no. <laughs> uh, of wet powder. So yeah. I had to wait. I basically had to wait for that. I was done for the weekend in terms of shooting, um, at that point. Uh, and I, I was given some cartridges to like help me get through, but okay. yeah, it basically created a plug. I had to wait for it to get dry in order to kind of unplug it and then the powder the rest of the powder was fine it was just the powder at the very end that in itself is a really interesting data point <laughs> to, it is. to it consider is i mean hard. i'm just yeah. fascinated by that because you know that happened um yeah oh yeah and how sure. do you deal with that <laughs> when you're out in the woods in the middle of nowhere it's not like there's a pause yeah, there's absolutely. not a time out 
This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. I've talked about Thor Bullets for over a year now, and uh, and I'd like to thank them again for their sponsorship. I have since, in this amount of time, went out and tested these bullets on my range. I have not gone hunting with them, but in my penetration testing and my accuracy testing with my CVA Acura LRV2, I have to say that the Thor Hammer bullets size to my bore for that Acura do a phenomenal job. I have sub one inch groups at 100 yards if I do what I'm doing. Uh, right with the rifle. Uh, can't speak highly enough of these bullets. I, I think you should try them, not just because they're supporting the show, but because they are performing really well in the tests that I am doing. Check out Thor Bullets. Not really a structured ad read here, but um, I hope that you you, you know, check out maybe some of the practice bullets they've got. And uh, as you're planning for your fall 2022 hunts here, check out some of the Thor Hammer Bullets. This podcast is brought to you by Muzzleloader Magazine, the publication for traditional black powder shooters. Since 1974, Muzzleloader has been the leading magazine devoted to traditional black powder hunting and shooting. Each issue is jam-packed with articles on hunting, shooting, gunsmithing, do-it-yourself projects, living history, American history, book and product reviews, and much, much more. Muzzleloader Magazine is the best traditional muzzleloading magazine, bar none. I'd like to thank Jason at Muzzleloader Magazine for his continued support of I Love Muzzleloading and the I Love Muzzleloading podcast. I don't care what you're into. If you're interested in muzzleloading, this is the kind of magazine I think you need to check out. I've been a fan of Muzzleloader Magazine even before the sponsorship. I've always been impressed with what Jason has been able to put out with Muzzleloader Magazine, and it really means a lot for him uh, to be supporting I Love Muzzleloading and our efforts over here. Thank you, Muzzleloader Magazine, for your support. I don't mean to bombard you with with questions here, but I I, I do have a a couple questions as far as safety for this, just because that's a concern that a lot of people have, and I know I'm sure that you guys had in planning this event. Um, you mentioned earlier that you got word about the tornado warning. Um, you know, where there's some people within distance that were still hooked in with the outside world to to communicate that to you, or was it? Um, how was that handled? I guess in this kind of scenario. Um, pretty much none of us were able to get service once we were down in the bottom of this. You know, once we were in the valley mm-hmm. um, and in the in the Shawnee National Forest, so we we heard this stuff. You know, some of us heard this stuff after the fact. Oh, okay. Um, some of us, some of us were aware. the The thing about the weather, though, there for that event was, um, everything they were saying was going to happen kept getting pushed off and put. They they said it was going to rain all day on Friday, right. be like really bad thunderstorms. Um, we never had that. We had some thunder and lightning. Um, you know, we were, when we were walking down the camp, there were moments where the whole forest would be like lit up with, <laughs> with lightning. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, we just kept, kept moving yeah. got down to where we needed to be. And, uh, and then it rained and then it cleared out and, um, and we were, you know, we were fine after that, but, um, yeah, safety safety is a thing that you, you know, I I feel like I feel like finding a group of people that are just kind of like willing to there's a level to which you kind of have to be willing to risk it. I'm not saying that you should purposefully put yourself in a in a bad situation. Right. Um 
you know, there was another immersion event that we did a number of years back where we went into Boone National Forest. Um, when we got up that morning, it was cold. On Saturday, when we we left camp, we were gone for about four hours. When we came back, there was about probably six or seven inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> and it started to ice, and it was getting really bad. And dangerous yeah. and so we we made the decision um to get out of there yeah uh, and, and if we hadn't made that decision you know we we might still be down there <laughs> it was pretty bad <laughs> right and um, and i think that's the kind of thing that you you know as the person going out and doing that you know those limitations right exactly yeah so we we kind of you know it's just like you know, but even within that, there was there was moments where it was like everybody was sitting around saying nobody wanted to be the person to call it. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wanted to be, you know, <laughs> so right. <finally laughs> it, just, it got to the point where everybody was like, this okay, is it. This know. has gotten, you know, too far out of hand. But yeah. Um, but yeah, um, weather is always a thing that, you know, you always want to keep an eye on that going in. Um, as far as the tornado, that was kind of a that was something that was kind of like a flash. It like kind of took us by surprise, you know, um, they weren't saying that in the middle of the week. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, there's a tornado warning. Um, so there's a certain level to like, once you're committed and you're out there, it's kind of like, well, (laughs) you're in there. Yeah. You just have to figure it out. Um, but we had a lot of good shot, you know, this place we were in was fairly sheltered and, and, you know, I think we'd have been fine had it gotten, you know, really bad. Um, yeah. The, the pictures that kind of came out of the event, you were, and I don't know, even I'm not a scientist, but there's, when you get into kind of those hills and valleys and, you know, really low mountains, I guess you could call them, um, you know, there's not so much of a tornado is going to come into that kind of area, you know, topographically too, which is something that you can consider. You're not out in the middle of a field, (laughs) you know, like you see in Twister. Exactly. Sure thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So then what about the combat, I guess, just for people at home listening, hearing that you're getting shot at and you're shooting at people? I mean, what's the what's the combat procedure like from a safety stance? I mean, you're not shooting projectiles, I assume. No, no. Right. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to make that clear for anybody out there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So. So basically, you know, basically we're doing the exact same thing that you would do at a, at a public event where you're having a battle. Okay. Um, we're shooting blanks, obviously. We're not pulling rammers for the most part. Um, there are occasions where, like, when, we, when, you, when you start out. So that first load that you, that you load, a lot of times I'll ram that cartridge down because the paper will hold that powder in in case I stumble or you mm. know my gun tip, tips over or something like that. But once you're in the heat of it, you know don't be pulling your rammer. You know okay. that's kind of the because you don't need to at that point. You're not holding. You don't need to hold your your powder in there. Um, make sure it doesn't it doesn't slide out. You know? <laughs> um, right. But I mean we we do take. I mean there's an inspection. You know we we try to inspect arms. You know, but it's like it's it's a lot of trust. You trust these guys out there. You know, that's why a lot of these events are in by only because 
you don't just want anybody showing up. Right. Yeah. And just like any event or experience, whether period or, or modern, you're not going to go out and spend. It's not a reality TV show where you're spending a time in the wilderness with strangers. Right. You know, you you're going through and making sure that there's a, a level of competency there and, and a level of understanding that's everybody's on the same page about what you're getting ready to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want, you know, you don't just want anybody or the, and their brother showing up and being like, well, I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. You know, it's, it's most, most everybody that's, that's, you know, coming like we had one guy, um, we had one guy that, you know, this was like his second event. Um, but, you know, in, in those cases, it's it's a guy that we know. Mm-hmm. It's a guy that we've specifically invited. Um, and and you kind of take and if and if he doesn't know the rest of the guys, you know, you kind of take responsibility for that person, you know, and you kind of, you know, watch them and and keep, make sure they're being safe and and whatnot. So I don't know of anybody on one of these things that's ever gotten, you know, I mean. I've only, I've only done them for a number of years now, but you know, I don't know of anybody who's ever gotten really seriously like hauled out on a stretcher hurt. Right. Right. And Um, I think, I think that's a a good point to that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of planning that goes into this and uh, you know, a lot of procedure to get to the point where you're out there in the woods. Um, And I think that's important, you know, just for anybody out there listening and wanting to do kind of this kind of thing. I think it's important not to take that lightly, kind of that that pre that uh, that planning that goes into it beforehand. Absolutely. There's yeah, there's a lot of planning and you and you really need a strong you really need a strong leader out there doing it, too. You know, this isn't this isn't something where you can just kind of, you know, go out and it's every man for himself and you you just run you know, you really need a, a structure. Everybody needs to know what they're there to do. And everybody needs to, everybody needs to, to be able to submit to that authority structure that's, that's set in place. Otherwise, you know, if you, if you have somebody out that, you know, doesn't want to listen to orders and doesn't want to listen to what you're saying, you know, you need to get that guy out of there as quickly as possible because he's a liability at that point. You mm. know, um, so safety is a big, you know, that's a big thing. And, um, there were people that we turned away from this event, um, that we didn't know, you right. know, we didn't, we didn't know. And, and we didn't, uh, we didn't trust, um, you know, because we didn't know them, we, we had no way to really trust their, um, being out there. So, um, so it's, you know, it's hard to keep an event like this under wraps, you know, when you're kind of planning it and word leaks out. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> most most of these things are invite only. Um, yeah. So if you, you know, if, if somebody out there is, is listening to this and you're interested in this type of, of an event, you know, get to know the people who are putting it on, you know, um, you know, that's the best way to, to kind of get get invited and go. So, right. I appreciate you being being upfront and honest about that. You know, I, I think it's it's a different level than than a lot of people are are used to being involved with. And I think it's at least in my experience and in, in interacting with you and the other folks in the group. You know, it's not a it's not an exclusionary thing to to be exclusive. It's a it comes down to those you know 
the things that you're doing, it's important to know the people that are involved and, and get to know them beforehand. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, we all have a, we all have a similar sense of, of what we're there to do, you know, like mm-hmm. what, what we're there to experience. And I think that's, that's a big thing of like being with folks who are kind of like-minded. Um, you know, it's not everybody's thing. And, and, and it, and it becomes very apparent when you get out with some people, like what their priorities are and that's fine. You know, everybody has different priorities and that's fine. Um, but when you can find that group that shares, you know, everybody there shares the priority. Um, it's a, it's a really, you know, that's where the magic happens, you know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's not to, it's not to exclude, you know, it's not to say, Oh, well, we're like the hardcore people that go do this thing. You know, we, I don't think of it that way as all. Well. It's just, this is what we enjoy doing. Um, there's a certain level of kind of being comfortable in the woods and being comfortable with your gear. And, you know, the fact is like, not everybody has spent a lot of time in the woods living out of a knapsack or living out of a blanket. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not, (laughs) it's not something for, it's not something that's everybody's acclimated to. And, and, and even the way, you know, Kobuk talks about, talked about this with you, like, being comfortable in your gear and your clothes, like where, like feeling like you're natural. It's like not a costume, you know, um, that's important. You know, that's, especially in the woods, that's really important because you can get uncomfortable really fast. (laughs) If your gear (laughs) is kind of just not well, it's not that it has to be like uber well thought out. You know, I went in there with a, with a, you know, with a knapsack and a a blanket roll, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like I was out there, you know, light, low impact backpacking or whatever, you know, it wasn't, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a a container for every little thing. And it was all like, you know, I I feel like people kind of have a tendency to do that, like turn their gear, turn everything into like a science, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think that people back then were doing that. I think, you know, the, the description of, the description of going on, on Indian campaign, you know, uh, with a, with a blanket, you know, a, a wallet with, um, you know, parched corn and, you know, whatever, and, and a tin cup tied to the blanket or whatever is, yeah. I, I think that's the description. It's like, it's pretty startling how, how minimally yeah. they, they were able to function <laughs> compared to what yeah, we have yeah. today. It's like that that's what you're going out on an Indian campaign. Like that's, spe- that specific quote is about going out on an Indian yeah. campaign. And, you're going to war. And so <laughs> that's what you have. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. I leave so, my house going to work with more, you know, <laughs> every day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, you know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, you don't need a lot. Um, and I think, yeah. I think that kind of, that's where I think a lot of guys, you know, get into trouble is they think that they have to bring everything in the kitchen sink out there. And it's like, you know, that's, that's not what they were, you know, if you're on campaign or you're on, you know, first of all, you know, there's a lot of nuances to like, depending on what you're doing, you know, um, so like what kind of gear you're taking and, and, you mm-hmm. know, more than likely if you're out there working in the woods, you've got pack horses and the whole nine. Yeah. Um, most people weren't just walking around with a, you know, with a blanket roll and there, you know, it didn't really look like that, but, um, 
Well, going on Indian campaign, certainly. I mean, yeah. you, you throw that stuff in there. Um, and, uh, actually I, I found the quote, uh, the, the, from the life and times of general James Robertson, 1770, um, expedition. He says, you know, a heavy blanket, rifle, hatchet, knife, powder horn, and powder, bullets, extra gun flit, a picker, a wallet well stored with parched corn, some salt, and a tin cup. You know, and uh, that's what you got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go live. Yeah. Go survive. <laughs> yeah. I, I know yeah. that that's the appeal of it for me and, and my interest in the, in the immersion side of things is, you know, trying to better understand how and, and why they were able to do what they were able to do. And... Like just the, I as as we're recording here, I just finished turkey hunting, and I was I was hunting with a with a percussion shotgun, but I did it in my 18th century clothing, to nice. kind of start that and, and reignite really that process of being in the woods, stalking and and working in the woods, as I imagine that they would have, and understanding the limitations of you know. The buckle shoes, not the greatest, you know, but that's what they had. And I felt so good when I came out of the woods each morning, having done that, walking along a county road, you know, as people are driving by, I just felt like I was for those few hours, I was in the woods and it was just me in that woods, you know, and there's yeah. a, there's a, an experience there that if you haven't done it's it's hard uh, it's hard for me to describe it in a manner that makes any sense, but um, it's just really cool when you're able to go in and do that. And um, you know, I I appreciate all the all the help and all the questions that you personally have answered for me on on trying to get better and and, and improve with this kind of area because it's just incredibly fascinating to me. Oh, awesome! Yeah, well, yeah, I and I love seeing like the enthusiasm and 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 the the stuff that you're promoting, you know, it's really good for the hobby and, you know, good for, you know, getting people in the hobby's huge. It's, you know, it's got, it's got all kinds of different little niche stuff in it that people are into. And, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't expect everybody to, you know, want to run off and do an immersion event after listening to this, but, right. um, it's certainly a, it's certainly a passion, of mine um to not just immersion but like you know just to experience what as much of what they experienced as i can and and specifically for me i i've always been really into like the military stuff and militia campaigns against the natives and and you know so that that's really where i find a lot of enjoyment of getting to see like okay you know what's that like what's going out and doing that like mm -hmm. um on some on some small you know you're never going to be able to recreate it in entire in its entirety because you're not actually you know they didn't actually steal our women and they, and they didn't actually right. shoot at and you know but but gosh you know there was a moment where as the natives when we attacked them the first time and as they fanned out and they started pushing us and, and I, I looked past the, the young warriors that had come out to fight us. And I saw the, the rest of the, the part of the war party leading the women away down the Creek bed. And I just thought, man, what, <laughs> what would I do? Yeah. If, if that, you know, what would I do if this was real? I mean, I would be just, 
that's, you know, that's my family being taken away right in front of my eyes, you know? Yeah. And I, I know that if I go charging in there, I'm going to get killed too. And then there's nothing I can do for them, you know? Well, yeah. So <laughs> it really just brings that stuff home. It, it makes you think like this was a real threat that, that people lived with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it provides an incredible know. perspective on, you know, on just how things are and how things have been and not, not discounting any of the struggles of the modern world. But, um, you know, when I, when I get in my bed at night, my, my warm, dry bed, uh, I'm ever thankful after reading and, and learning about the stories of, of, you know, people that came before and the, the trials that they went through, because that happened, you know, people's families oh, yeah. were taken, they died and, you know, alone in the woods, you know, with their, with their powder horn in the river. It's just, yeah, exactly. Uh, I exactly. Don't know. It's humbling, but inspiring at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really amazing. Uh, you know, and, and those little moments are the ones that you live for as a reenactor doing this stuff. You know, you just, it's, uh, when you can experience that, um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty big thing. So, um, that's what I've always that's what I've always done it for and what I, what I hope to keep doing it for. <laughs> so, Absolutely. We got yeah. a little heavy there. Um, I'm going to bring us a little bit lighter here, I think, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you going there though, because I, I at least uh, for me, it's really great to get into that level of, of what this is about. And I think it brings a lot of meaning to it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But for somebody listening that, that might be interested in what we're talking about in portraying the 18th century, what kind of things should they consider having that they might not be considered, they might not have currently, you know, like a, a, a three to five items and, and why? Um, I, you asked Kobuk this question and he, yes. he threw out some good stuff. Um, and so I'll just maybe add on to some of the gear that he talked about um and i'll go into like the i guess i would go into like the clothing part the clothing is your the clothing is really like your base layer um for when somebody sees you what do they think you're doing and so um so that you know they say like the, the clothes make the man or whatever um yeah uh so the, the first important, uh, the first important thing is, uh, get yourself a, a good pair of shoes that fit you well and, um, you know, are sturdy, uh, get yourself a good hat, um, because there's a lot of terrible hats out there. Um, <laughs> what kind of, do you have a, a hat recommendation maybe for us? Um, the hat guy that I uh, that I like to go to. And I, every time, every time I get asked his name, I can never, oh, um, that's okay. <laughs> I can never remember it, but uh, we can put it in in post. I, we'll, we'll dub it over. <laughs> sure thing. I, I think, uh, I think it's Brinkle. Okay. Yes. Um, he does hats at a really, um, at a really great price. They're also, yeah, M. Brinkle Hatter. If he's on uh, Facebook, he's really easy to work with. Um, you know, you'll 
you'll wait for the hat. You know, there's going to be a wait because he's in demand. But once you get it, you will be very pleased uh, that you that you took the time and waited. So, yeah, get yourself a good hat. Yourself a good pair of shoes. Those are the things that it's hard to. If you're going to come out and hang out with a with a maybe what I would call a more progressive group, um, those are the things that are harder to lend to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shoes. You just don't have not you don't have a extra pair of shoes laying around. So, a lot of groups will bring you in and they can say, okay, you know, we'll let you borrow some stuff to kind of get started. You know, I would say shoes good hat and then get yourself a good pair of trousers that's a really versatile lower lower garment as opposed to a pair of breeches or you know whatever breeches are fine but trousers just show up a lot you know they're 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 easier they're easier to make yourself you don't have all that you know buttons and stuff on the side that you got to worry about yeah um and they're just a really good versatile garment for you know all types of impressions i don't know those would be my those would be my big 3 if i had to say like what should no i think those are good what should i buy first or what should i try to get first that'll yeah that'll get you a long ways i don't know if that was <laughs> no. what you're looking for but no that I is kind of bookending on on Kobux. he he was kind of recommending more gear stuff yeah um and so that would be my clothing recommendation of like, what should I get first? Those three things are what I would shoot for. No, I think, I think that's a great list. And I think it, it provides some more context and, and that's what I was hoping. And I, I figured you would, you would recognize the question, but uh, it, it, it's good. I think to ask different people the same question to see how they answer and, and to get different perspectives on that thing that kind of thing. So I hope that folks are taking notes because this is (laughs) really, I'm I'm asking Jake here the same questions or similar questions that I've been asking him for like the past six months or a year, (laughs) you know, as (laughs) I try to learn and I, and I ask other people the same questions just to try to further educate myself. (laughs) And so I appreciate you you sharing that Uh, kind of along the, and I think, go ahead. I think clothes are, are the, you know, like I was saying, like gear and stuff is like really easy to like lend people. Yeah. Um, having clothes that fit you like correctly, that's, that's where I tell everybody to like, that's the base level, get your clothes and make, you know, make sure everything fits right and looks right. And like, if you show up in an event, you know, somebody will have an extra blanket roll you can use. Somebody will have a, you know, even an extra gun, they can bring and let you use for the weekend. Like, yeah. you know, and then you can, you can slowly start putting that stuff together as you go. Kind of along those same lines here, then what, what kind of tips and recommendations that you have for, for aspiring reenactors and, and living historians, as far as, you know, some of the research topics and that, that you've maybe dove into a little bit as far as research and portrayal for the era goes. Um, I think, you know, I think, once again, you know, Kobuk had a little, a lot of great advice, um, in the, in that episode, um, of your podcast. Um, I would say, you know, and his blog, I mean, if I had to say like what, what started me down that path, it was Kobuk's blog, you know, just seeing like, you know, he's got so much great stuff there for people to look at. And, you know, people ask a lot of the same questions, you know, what do I, what should I do? And what should I, um, Honestly, like, honestly, like find, find the original sources and like go to those and read them. Mm -hmm. You can find a lot of the references to those original sources on Kobuk's blog, on the Shirt Tail Mess blog, on um, 
There's another one uh, of sorts for provincials that Jim Mullins does. Um, there's lots of really good quotes and, and most of the time, you know, they, they say where they got them. Um, and a lot of the topics, uh, you know, I'm just looking, I'm just looking at the shirt sale must blog, our blog, Yeah. you know, there's one on, on how to tie or strap up your packs. And so, you know, Matthew gave, you know, he wrote the article and, and gave a real basic, like, here's how to tie up your blanket roll with a temp line, you know, hmm. really easy step-by-step. Step. Um, you know, he did one on what he carries with him in his gear. He did, you know, and, and you, and again, uses quotes from original sources to springboard off into that topic. Yeah. Um, so as far as like, if you just want to kind of crash course and like get into like, okay, what do I need to get? You know, these are all reliable sources, you know, that are, um, places where you can find some of these quotes and some of the information that, that we're basing our gear off of. Um, and then, look at those sources, dive in deeper. You might find something that we didn't find, you know, the Kobuk didn't find that, you know, and, and bring it, you know, bring it to, to our attention. And, and we're like, Whoa, okay, great. Yeah. You know, so it's all, it's all about that. And it's, so that's what I would recommend. Just the finding the stuff can be kind of daunting. The original stuff can be kind of daunting. Even for myself, I I've benefited greatly from knowing people like Kobuk and, and others who have done a lot of this legwork, uh, you know, uh, for us, um, yeah. you know, not that we shouldn't also do it, but, but, you know, when somebody hands you a gift, you know, don't, <laughs> don't, uh, don't, um, don't throw it back at their face, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, so. it served for me just to, to kind of know the names to look for, um, and, and some of the terms to look for, to get a, to even know what to look for, you know, you're kind of like a, a, a blind pig looking for an acorn. Um, yeah. Lot, because you're, you know, even if you're narrowing down to certain years, I mean, there's still just swaths and swaths of information out there to try to dig through. And, and those blogs, having those sources cited, even just with a simple title, you know, of where where the information came from or that section of information came from, gives you a place to go. And like you said, dive into... You know, even if it's just a different chapter than the blog post was talking about, there's more information there that hasn't necessarily been covered. Um, and you can Absolutely. go out and find that. And it's a wonderful feeling to find it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, that would be my, rec my recommendation there. Just, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's already been kind of, you know, a lot of, again, you know, I think Kobuk said it too, like, a lot of the same questions like come up over and over, especially when you get new people coming in. So yeah, it's great to be able to just send them like, here's these articles. These will help you kind of get pointed in that direction. Um, and then again, you can kind of look through them and say, Oh, well, what's that book that they got that quote from? Oh, there it is. Like I can go track that down, you know, and read the whole narrative or, or whatever. So that's how I would recommend getting into it because it can be daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, looking for those sources, just not even knowing what you're looking for in some, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned the shirt tail mess and the, the shirt tail mess blog a little bit. It kind of rolls into really the last question that I have for you, but where can people follow you and your adventures if they'd like to learn more and, and see a little bit about what you've been doing and what you've been talking about? 
Sure. Um, so uh, shirttailmess.blogspot.com is where our, our blog is. Um, and uh, it's pretty irregular. It's kind of as I feel the need <laughs> to yeah. say to say something um it's it's a mixture of uh it's a mixture of how to's um it's a mixture of that and and my kind of my own personal philosophical ramblings about the hobby um and uh which i don't know some folks might think i maybe lean a little too heavy in that direction as of late but um but I, I do have a lot of philosophical musings on the hobby. Um, and so, well, I think uh, just as you read historic accounts, you know, you hear those kinds of musings in those journals sure. and things. I think it's only natural to inject some of that. And I think it's part of what makes, you know, hopefully in 100 years when somebody digs that up and, and sees that, they understand you a little bit more, just as we enjoy yeah, finding hopefully. those I, in those journals. Or they'll just think you're I a knob. So. That's I think most people just think I'm a knob, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll probably, they'll probably read it and be like, man, this guy was a real piece of work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the shirt tell blogspot. And then, um, you can find us on Instagram. Um, and the Instagram handle is, uh, just at shirt tell mess. So, and um, I'll, and I'll drop links in the, the show description for folks to check that out. Um, just a, a tap from whatever podcast player they're listening on just to make it easy for them. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, it was funny. I, I saw your, uh, I saw that graphic that you did, um, where you said, so, it says something about the, the shirt tail. Um, yeah. These shirt tail men. You, you know, yeah. You know, cursed twisted guns. Yes. And, uh, that was where that, that was where that, um, came from. And I, I could for the life of me, somebody asked where that came from and, and it was Matthew, Fenewald that um had seen that quote and we and kind of came up with the name and uh and I couldn't remember where he'd gotten it so then I saw your I saw that graphic and I was like oh heck yeah that was where we yeah <laughs> that was where that came from <laughs> um so yeah we liked we liked that a lot and that was kind of where the name the shirt tail mess came from so oh, man and mess mess being you know the the name of a of a group of soldiers within a company right yes um but also it's kind of a mess you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) as many of the the militia (laughs) descriptions were from the time right exactly so we just rolled with that um i have this the source for that i have that in my database here somewhere but that quote came out of a, I found it quoted in a book that I think was actually published in Canada where they had, it, they had, it came from, didn't it, it come from like a London newspaper? It was like, yes, the, that yeah. book had attributed it to a London newspaper. And that's as far as I've been able to find on it, but it's just such a good quote. The, um, the Widowmakers group has used it for years. Uh, and that's where I yeah. originally saw it before I was able to kind of dig and find the source for it, just because it's, to me, it, it exemplifies a, a real 
passion point for me for American culture. Like that's a real defining statement that I, I hope that we hold on to, I guess not to get, <laughs> not to get too far into it, but I just like that a lot. Sure. <laughs> it, yeah. It's a great, you know, it's a great kind of descriptive, uh, quote about you know the the nature of of america it's kind of tangentially related here but the the carolinas company i think on instagram they share a lot of really great um original accounts and statements from the carolinas and georgia region from the war and oh, that's great yeah there's some really wonderful um segments that they publish that are on a similar vein which i really find interesting just as kind of a um, a cultural point for how things were talked about and how the people were described. I think it's really mm. interesting that we start to see that kind of thing carried through culture, at least written culture uh, from different regions. So it's something I'm trying to do a little bit more digging on to try to understand. But um, so if, if somebody's interested in what we've been talking about here, that's a, that's another place to look. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those Carolina, Carolina guys are great. Um, Great dudes, for sure. I'd like to thank Jake again for coming onto the program here and and sharing so much knowledge. I I interrupted, I feel like, with a lot of questions, but I hope that it was as informative for you as it has been for me. I've been talking with Jake back and forth now for for quite some time, and he's been nothing but but very forthcoming with information and assistance and, and helping me better understand what I'm trying to do when it comes to the living history side of, of what I enjoy about this community and the hobby. So I just really can't thank him enough. As always, we'll have links to many, as many of the things as I can, uh, the things that we talked about in this episode, as well as Jake's blog and the Instagram page uh, and some of the other different businesses and craftspeople and Instagram pages <laughs> that we've mentioned here on the show. Um, if you'd like to learn more about these kind of immersive events, uh, I really recommend getting on some of the forums that are out there for muzzleloading. This is discussed a little bit on the American Long Rifles Forum, but really the kind of new home for this has been uh, several of the Facebook groups that are out there. And even if you're not ready yet to dive into some of these events and, and really dedicate yourself to getting practiced up and trained so that you can be out there in a safe manner, you can observe and understand a little bit more of, of what these groups are doing and how they're going about it. And that's really what I've been doing, uh, getting into this side of things over the past couple of years is just kind of observing and learning and, and taking that into practice really just in my backyard um, to, to better understand it and bring my skills and abilities up to snuff as well as my gear and equipment um, to, you know, one, enjoy some good conversation and, and some good research and some good camaraderie, but then also like we talked about so much in this episode uh, to try to get a better understanding of, of those who came before and, and the people that got us to where we are today. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Um, it's going to be a busy summer, I think, for us here at I Love Muzzleloading. There's a lot happening when it comes to muzzleloading. By the time you're listening to this, uh, the June Spring Nationals at the NMLRA in Friendship, Indiana, are going to be right around the corner. I'm planning on being there through the first weekend this year to spend some time meeting with and chatting with muzzleloading enthusiasts from around the country. So if you're there, um, you know, seek me out, stop me, and uh, and say hi and tell me a little bit about 
what you love about muzzleloading. I really enjoy getting to connect with and, and talk with so many of you. So I encourage you, if you see me, please stop me and chat with me a little bit. I'd love to talk with you. That's all I have for you for this episode. As always, you can learn more at ilovemuzzleloading.com, where we'll have some photos and some of the ancillary content really to go along with this conversation. We'll have a link in the show notes below directing you to that page. I hope that you enjoy it. Even if you're not interested in getting involved in the immersive side of things, I think it's neat to know that this kind of stuff is still happening. We live in an era where we uh, can sometimes think that people aren't going outside, people aren't doing things, people aren't being active. But I'm really proud to say that the muzzleloading community is a community where people are getting outside, they're working with their hands, they love history and they want to see it continue. And I think that's a point of pride for us as we continue through each year as the community continues on after so long. That's a feather in our cap that we should really hold on to. Once again, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.